Please turn with me in your Bibles once more to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. This message this morning will be on verses 1 to verse number 14 of this text that we read earlier. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Beginning with verse 1, and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, all the way down to verse number 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. And this text we will look at under the following heading, come to the marriage celebration, come to the marriage celebration. Our text this morning There is a parable taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. A parable dealing with a specific subject. That is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. And it's a parable that uses a picture or an illustration of a joyful event. A celebration. Something wonderful. Something that we would wish to come and celebrate at. Even in our day, weddings are still joyful celebrations. They were at this time 2,000 years ago, and they still are today, even with all the attempts that we see in our world to devalue marriage. Ordinarily, they are wonderful, joyful events that you'll often remember for years. Certain memories from going to weddings. Two people coming together and becoming one. A sharing of a life of love together. But this illustration of this joyful event is a parable. A parable. And what is a parable? Sometimes we may misunderstand this. It's not just a a flowery story to help illustrate. There's something even more deeper at play here. That the Lord Jesus Christ, parables, yes, were stories. But they were often there to reveal to those with eyes to see and ears to hear. But they were also there to conceal from those who did not. In Matthew 13, 13, it tells us about this. Matthew 13, 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. They blessed and helped those with eyes to see and ears to hear, but yet... They were a judgment as well upon those who did not wish to learn from God. And I ask you here this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you love God? Regardless of how young you are, you may be five years old here, you may be ten years old, you may be fifty years old, you may be rich, you may be poor. But do you love Jesus Christ? That is the most important question 
of all. Do you love him? Do you, for you who love and follow God. This, what we're seeing here in this parable, is a wonderful celebration. A joyful thing to be invited toward. Fully enjoyed, yes, at the end of the world. The marriage supper of the Lamb. But yet we have tastes of that wonderful, joyful celebration here in this world. There's also something shocking about the parables that Jesus taught. There was usually something that would be a huge surprise for them to hear. And this is one of the things that was shocking about this parable. The idea that a religious people, and they were very religious, that any of them could be in trouble with the Lord. So there's often a shocking element in this, which is that I go to church every week. And in their case, they they went to the temple, synagogue, or wherever they went. They thought they were okay. So these parables can also be shocking to people who are religious. The idea that there could be some who thought they were at this celebration, but yet they did not come in the right way. How do we know that this generation was in trouble? This is a very hardened generation when Jesus came into the world. They crucified him. They had Barabbas and they had Jesus set before them. And they chose Barabbas. And yet they were very religious. The shocking thing is, as we will see, we may think we're in the midst of the celebration. We may not be. We may not be. Friends, Jesus calls all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. And when you hear this invitation, this command, don't undervalue it. Come. Come and celebrate his greatness. Come and celebrate his love. Come and celebrate what he has done for his bride, the church. Our first point that we're going to look at here this morning, number one is commanded. Commanded. Verses 1 to verse number 3 of Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. They were bidden to come. Sometimes you may get an invitation to a wedding. Perhaps you haven't seen this person in years. And... Perhaps you're not able to go to that wedding. It's not hugely insulting to not be able to go to a wedding of someone perhaps you haven't seen in 15 years. But this is not the case here in this parable. It's not any ordinary person who's calling you or bidding you to come to this wedding celebration. It's a king. There's a certain king being spoken about. And this king is pointing toward the Lord, the Lord himself, the King of kings, God Almighty. And he is, and pointing towards as well, his son. His son, his only begotten son. 
this is even more special again than any king between a father and a son, any relationship that we may see in this world. You see, the father, God the father and God the son, that relationship goes back from eternity, past. It's a relationship that never changes and never will change. He's the only begotten son of God. What does that mean? Well, this relationship is eternal. Eternal, unchanging. And put it this way, Jesus didn't become the Son of God when He became man. He was always the eternal Son of God. Now, the Father calls who? He calls His servants. As it tells us here in our text, verse 3, and He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And who are his servants? It's the first century. This is the visible church on earth. The Jewish church. And he calls his servants, those who profess to know God, Jehovah. And he calls them. They profess to be God's people. And do they come? Well, they would not come. They would not come. In fact, if you look further in the New Testament, how many, what numbers were there in Acts chapter 2? 120. Yes, the Lord added to the church later on and great numbers, thousands were added later on. But all of that number that were in Judea, in Jerusalem, a very small, truly, small number truly believed. They did not value that celebration highly. They thought they did. They thought they were looking to the Christ who would come. But they looked for another. They devalued it. They treated it as something common. It says in verse 5, but they made light of it. They made light of it friends this invitation this calling of God to this marriage celebration this wedding celebration to come and trust in Jesus Christ it's not a suggestion it's not a take it or leave it it's not well you go your way I'll go my way kind of a thing it's a command to all people yes the command first comes to the Jews and then to the Gentiles but it comes to all men everywhere to repent and believe and trust in Jesus and come and celebrate him. It's a command. It's a command for you. It's a command for all of us to come and celebrate him. Perhaps you're here this morning. Perhaps you're visiting for the first time. Or perhaps you've been here many times before. But maybe you have yet to take the gospel call seriously. You've heard it many, many times. But you still, in your heart, make light of it. You may think, well, I have a friend of mine. He trusted in Jesus. But that, was, that worked for him. It got him out of trouble. That's a dangerous place to be, friend. To hear the truth. Over and over. To be commanded. To be compelled. To be called. To come. But you, yet you still make light of it. 
You think, well, it helps other people. I don't need it. Friends, don't harden your heart to the gospel. Christ is wonderful. See, what you're rejecting is not just some means to help. You're rejecting the most wonderful truth. You're rejecting the Son of God. Why would we do so? Why would we reject if somebody gave you a, a present? A wonderful, expensive present. Put much time into it. And you just turned it away. It would be very insulting, wouldn't it? Here is the greatest gift. The Lord Jesus Christ. True God and true man. And he is offered to you this morning to trust in him. And again, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Do not harden your heart to him. Because if you do not embrace Jesus Christ, you embrace death. He is life. He is liberty. He is joy. And he is freedom. But it's a tragedy. You know. You go around different towns. Different places. Maybe in England. Maybe in Scotland. Maybe where I'm from in Ireland. And there's so many people. Who have not embraced Jesus Christ. They've embraced death. They serve death. They may even go to a church building. But they've never trusted in Jesus Christ. They make light of this invitation. In Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verses 10 to 12. Acts chapter 4 and verses 10, 11 and 12. Say so they need Jesus and we all need Jesus. There's no other name. Verses 10 onwards. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We are commanded to come. Jesus was not valued. He was treated as a common thing. He was rejected by the religious leaders of the day. We trust him. Number two now, compelled. So number one, we looked at commanded. It's a commandment, but now we look at a compelled if we come to Jesus, we come by faith. Faith alone. By grace alone. In Christ alone. Apart from the deeds of the law. And when we come by faith, we don't come against our own wills. We come because we see in Christ something wonderful. We feel compelled to come. We want to come. Those who reject the gospel message reject something wonderful. There's something wonderful offered to all men everywhere to come and repent and trust in Jesus. But unless your heart has been changed by the Spirit of God, you won't see that what is in front of you is wonderful. 
See, it's only by God's grace and mercy that any of us see God. That any of us see the beauty of holiness. Then we're compelled to come. It's not against our will. Our will has been changed to come. In verse number 4 of our text, in Matthew 22, verse 4, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. What's this a picture of? If you come to a wedding feast, there's food. There's abundance. Now I know we may take these things for granted in in a world where we have fridges. But for most of human history, people struggled for food. Hunger was a real reality for most of human life. And it's still a reality for many around the world today. But here there's plenty Here there is satisfaction. Here there is, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatlings are killed. And all things are already come. What happens if you have not eaten for some time? What happens? You feel hungry, don't you? You may have breakfast and three hours later you're really, really hungry. You're really distracted. You might be at work. And you're trying to focus on your task. And all you can think about is how many minutes before the next lunch break. You're just thinking about food. Your stomach growls. And when you see food in front of you, do you have to drag yourself toward that food? It draws you. It invites you. It compels you. You're not dragged there. You see... The Christian faith is not doing all those boring things that the world thinks is boring and we're just doing it because we think we have to do it. Yes, these are good things that we must do. We must come to worship God. But we come as believers in Jesus Christ because we want to. What we're doing this morning is what we're going to do for all eternity. And that's worship God. We're going to want to come. This is a joyful celebration. Because God has changed our hearts. Before I was saved by the Lord. Nothing could be sound so much boring. So, much, so boring than coming to a church service. But then God changed my heart. And one of the most wonderful things. Was to come to worship God. To meet under Christians. To share Christian fellowship. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think, I don't want to come. I don't want to come to the Lord. I don't want to come to the celebration. It doesn't sound enticing. It doesn't sound interesting. The problem is not the celebration, friend. If that is your heart, the problem is you. It's a sad place to be because, but for the grace of God, I would be there too. We need the Spirit of God. That we would hunger for righteousness. This is a great feast set before us. This is a wonderful thing set before us. And this food. Who is this food? Christ. At the Lord's table. You'll have bread and you'll have wine. And set before you. 
is a sign and seal of Jesus Christ, pointing toward his body and his blood, because he is the true food. And how do we feed on him? By faith. By faith alone. See, when you see your poverty, when you see your lack, oh, you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus said that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you want to celebrate God? You see, if you don't want to celebrate God, if, you, if that's not your heart's desire, why would you want to go to heaven? That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Celebrating God in its fullness. And our bodies will get weary in a worship service. Or our physical bodies will struggle at times. But we will be in eternity and we will never grow tired. And it will never ever diminish in terms of its enjoyment and its satisfaction. See, we can't really wrap our minds around that, can we? You could eat your favorite food many times, and your enjoyment of that favorite food will go up and down, depending on the day. But when you're in eternity, the enjoyment of it will be perfect. The enjoyment of Christ will be perfect. See, we taste and see in this world, but we're going to see it in its fullness in the world to come. Why do I point out all this? Because this is the most wonderful thing. Cancel all your appointments. Cancel all the things that you have in this world. And come and celebrate God. He is to come first. He is to come first. What is our purpose in this world? I love the first question of the short catechism. What is man's chief end? To, to glorify God. And there's something else there too, isn't there? And enjoy him forever. I think we miss that second part sometimes. Enjoy him. In eternity, we're going to enjoy him far greater than we do in this world. But in this world, we're here to enjoy him forever. Our third point, condemnation. Condemnation. Verses number five. And six of our text of Matthew 22. Matthew 22 verses 5 and 6. But they made light of it. Went their ways one to his farm. And another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants. And entreated them spitefully. And slew them. What do we see in verse 5 here? They made light of it. They did not value this invitation they didn't value the celebration. So what happened? Other things were more important. Other things became far more important than coming to the Lord. In verse 5 it says, And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Friend, is there anything keeping you from Christ? Is there anything in your life that is keeping you away from him? Is there an idol? You may be truly a believer, but that idol may be robbing you of sweet assurance. See, if you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. 
but you can lose your assurance if you fall into sin. Do you value possessions more than God? More than the celebration? Do you value the things of this world more than the things of the world to come? The world wants to distract us with wealth. And if we don't act like the world, the world will think us strange. But we ought to pity the world. That's why we praise God and I blessed to see this yesterday with the bookstalls and, and handing out tracks and different things because you take pity on the world because the world doesn't see these things. You want image bearers of God to know the Lord. We praise God for that. But they're under condemnation. They don't value the gospel. They value either wealth, worldly pleasure, more than the pleasure of the world to come. Worldly comforts. See, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we're not under condemnation anymore. We don't condemn the gospel anymore. If you're not a believer, you condemn the gospel. But if you trust in Jesus Christ and you love his gospel message, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. What you have done by coming to Christ, you've actually said no to the riches of this world. And you've said yes to the riches of the world to come. The riches of the kingdom of heaven. The riches of the, uns the unsearchable riches of his grace. The eye hath not seen nor the ear heard the things that the Lord has prepared for those who trust in him. In Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verses 29 to 31. Mark chapter 10 and verses 29 to 31. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, in the Gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. You see, to come to the Lord... To come to a point where there's no condemnation. To come to a point where you do not in your heart condemn the gospel. Where you don't still embrace the things of this world. It will cost you. It will vary from person to person. But it will cost you in this world. It will cost you wealth. Cost you promotion. It doesn't mean you'll have nothing in this world. The Lord will provide. But it will cost Things in this world to follow the Lord. But what about those who come to celebrate this message? You see, to celebrate Christ and to come. And I, I keep emphasizing that word celebrate. This is a joyful thing. To come into the presence of Almighty God. To celebrate Christ. And you see, if you love Christ. You're going to love other people. 
who love Christ. I'm not saying that you can't have any contact with non-Christians or things like that. And you probably will have friends. But your closest friends surely should be believers in Jesus Christ. Because your loyalty to Christ comes first. There's no neutrality when it comes to the gospel. Because you enjoy something that the world doesn't enjoy. And that the greatest thing, the most precious thing in the world is shared by other believers in Jesus Christ. Are you on the side of no condemnation in Jesus Christ? Or are you on the side of those who value the things of this world more than Christ? You see, they'll all have their excuses. One went to his farm and another to his merchandise. And look how it even goes when it gets nasty. And you'll notice this. You'll share the gospel with people. It'll be very friendly at first. But then probe a little more. Point out a few things from the scriptures. And the conversation may change. Verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and, and slew them. We almost can't imagine such persecution. In the West these days. In places like here in England. And other places. But. The fallen world. The human heart. Without Jesus. Without the spirit of God. Hates the message. And hates those who will share it. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around at times. But unless we love God. And love his gospel. We will be just like that group. Took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. We may think, oh, I would never do that. Friend, if we have not trusted in Jesus, we have condemned him and condemned his servants. There's no neutrality in this war. Verse 7 says this of our text But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he was angry. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. See, those people who condemn the gospel, who value things more in this world, they're still in the city of destruction. Friend, are you in the city of destruction today? Trusting your own works. You think perhaps, I'm a good person. I don't deserve help. You do deserve hell. I deserve hell. We all deserve this wrath of God. The king is angry here in his parable. And he sends forth and the, the city. The city is destroyed. You see we're citizens of either the city of destruction. Or the new Jerusalem. Which city are you a citizen of? If you're in the new Jerusalem, no condemnation. In Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. Because we don't deserve that. We deserve condemnation. But in Him, we have freedom. Number four now, commission. Commission. We're speaking of the great commission here. Verse number 8. 
Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are, were bidden were not worthy. Not worthy. Now none of us in our own selves are worthy. Our works are not worthy. What we bring is not worthy. But these people, in rejecting the gospel message, it points toward we're not worthy to come to the celebration. The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. And this was really speaking directly to a, a lost and religious generation. It is heartbreaking. We currently, myself and my family, we live in Northern Ireland. Very religious areas where most people would have gone to church not too long ago. Many of them are out in the world now. Following the world, the flesh and the devil. There's parts of Scotland. It's very similar. It's very tragic. Places where godly men were sent to bless the church where the Spirit of God has been poured out and now become hardened to the gospel. And that could be said of those places too. But they which were bidden were not worthy. But look at verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. Bid to the marriage. It's interesting, isn't it? As many as ye shall find. Well, what if they're not of the right background? Maybe they haven't learned any of the Bible. Should we go to as many as ye shall find? Everyone. Everyone you find. Does it matter the background? Does the church stop? Because perhaps part of the church in certain parts of the world is that light is a little bit dimmer than it used to be. Friends, the church shall continue on. Not because the church itself is strong, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking, I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who is going to build his church? I will build my church, Jesus said. It's not us. It's the Lord who builds his church, and it will prevail. It will have victory. It will stand over the seed of the serpent, spoken about in Genesis 3 verse 15. In the kingdom. There are people. From every part. Of the world. There will be people from every tribe. Every language group. Yes. The more. Some parts of the world. That light may dim a little bit. But the gospel goes forth. And actually what you find today is a lot of places where the gospel was not strong in the past. It is much stronger there than it is in places like in these islands. 
We share a message of celebration. We invite people. When we're, when we're asking them to come to trust in Jesus, we're asking them to come to celebrate Him, to trust in Him, to follow Him. That's the great commission. And we find the great commission at the end of Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, last few verses of this gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's adding to the church. Baptizing them. They're being added to the church. And teaching them all things. Whatsoever I've commanded you. Being nurtured and blessed in the church. And this is something we engage in as a whole body. Yes, there are certain people set aside to preach. And there are certain people with different talents and gifting that the Lord has given you. But we all do so side by side as members of one body. And you may not have the same gifting as someone else in sharing the gospel with someone. But we all share that same responsibility. We may labor in this task in sharing the gospel with people. And we may work on the field and it may not look like much is happening. We may look at the, the soil and it may look like there's not much growth. But we don't know what's going on underneath the surface. When the farmer plants around October time, does he see the crop immediately? See, sometimes when we go off evangelizing, sometimes we think, we'll give out five tracks and... We may see one or two saves immediately. That may happen. And we don't want to limit what the Spirit of God can do. But sometimes we have to labor repeatedly in the same area. We may not see much fruit visible for many years. But it's God who gives the increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 6 to 9. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 6 to 9. I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own Labor, but friends, you see, we're to labor. The, the one who's trusting in the work of God, we keep laboring. We keep laboring, expecting the fruit. And we share this truth with every creature. The gospel is to go forth every creature of every background. Anyone who is an image bearer of God, 
The Lord commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. And may we, as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, under that one Savior, call them to come to Him. Our final point, number five, is covered. Covered. Verses 11 and 12 of our text. Verses 11 and 12. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Children here this morning. It's very cold, isn't it? And have you ever gone outside without your jacket? What does your, your mother or your father say when you go out without your jacket? You're, you're shivering and you're freezing. Put on your coat. Don't they say that? Put on your coat. You need the right clothing, don't you? When you go out into the cold. Well, when we come to this wedding celebration, we need the right clothing. We need to be covered. Who is going to cover us? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who's going to clothe us. It says about a wedding garment here. This man does not have a wedding garment. You see, if we come without God's clothing, if we come without the king's clothing... What will happen? Verse 12, and he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13, then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, and they attempted to cover up themselves, they sewed fig leaves together, attempting to cover up themselves, to cover up their own nakedness and shame. And unless we come to the celebration with this wedding garment, royal robes of righteousness to wrap us, to to protect us so that when the, the king looks upon us we're an object of delight not an object of wrath see if we're clothed by the righteousness of Christ he will embrace us and we are to remain in that wedding celebration otherwise we will be cast out if we come in our own works now as we finish, let us think about what makes the difference. Why are, okay, we trusted in Jesus Christ. We have repented of our sins. But why have we done so? What makes us different? Does it, are we better? Verse 14, for many are called. Many are called. But few are chosen. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ here this morning, God has taken pity upon you. And with a love from before the foundation of the world, chosen you to salvation. 
It's the only reason any of us have come. It's the only reason I have come. It's undeserving grace. And he has seen fit to rescue us. He has seen fit to clothe you, dear friend, for this wedding. If you're trusted in Jesus Christ, will he ever reject you? Will he ever bind you hand and foot and place you into outer darkness? No. Because you are clothed with that wedding garment. But don't come in your own works. Don't come in your own works. Your own garments will not be enough. As we finish, do you value this gospel invitation? Do you value it so much that you talk about it to people? You may be at work and you love this gospel invitation so much. You value it so much. You talk about it. You meditate upon it. You think about it. You're so thankful to God for saving you. That like a wellspring, it comes out of you. And naturally, you just tell other people about it. Do you value Jesus, the son spoken of, so much that you can't wait for the next Sabbath day? There's a sense of anticipation in your heart. And friends, maybe you're in a part of your Christian walk where you don't look forward to the Sabbath day. Think about the Sabbath. Think about that rest found in Jesus Christ. Think about the celebration that worship is. To come and be with God's people. By faith alone we look to Jesus Christ. By faith alone we come to the celebration. By grace alone, you have been clothed in Christ alone, whom we celebrate. Amen. Amen. Let us.